coming up on the Naughtiest Naughty. Turned around and walked away to Victoria. My wife was like, it's Trevor McDonald. It's Trevor McDonald. <laughs> Kylie looks set to see out the year 2000 as Scott's winner with Spinning Around. But once again, Liam has changed and is now rooting for Daft Punk's One More Time. I swear, something has to stick for longer than four weeks going forward. Really, really, it has to. You're worse than a superstar at a, an event doing a costume change, you. Like, what on earth's going on? <laughs> I've always dreamed of being in Lycra Hot Pants, but that's the time for a story for a different time. Uh, this is the Naughtiest Naughty. Hello, welcome along. My name is Liam Milburn. I'm Scott McGurdy. And we are on our quest to find the very best pop song of the noughties. We are currently at the year... 2000 and we're in the month of December this is the final stretch of the year 2000 can you believe it? I can't believe it so we're going through every month one at a time and uh, some months we have to split in half so we're making sure we get some ones in there some twos and stuff like that there but this is really difficult we thought when we set out this was just going to be a simple little thing might be more difficult being in our hot seat than kind of being the observer or the person playing along Mm -hmm. but yeah way more difficult than we assumed but every single top 10 single of the noughties we're working through it and we're looking for the, the final rule. What was the best one? Mm-hmm. Framework around what's the definition of pop song? We don't know. Nope. And we probably won't know. Nope. So, yes. <laughs> difficult. <laughs> very, very difficult. Uh, if you're playing along with us, do let us know what you've been thinking of the tracks so far. Have you got your winner? So next week is the final episode of the year 2000, the end of series one. And we're going to ask for your winner, basically. We'll put a survey out and we'll try and... It's the people's choice, isn't it? It's the people's choice. It really is. And I think, you know, we didn't really know how this was going to go whenever we started out. We just knew that we were onto something, really. But yeah, so some people are playing for different reasons. Some people are bearing things in mind as they go. Some people are just listening for the crack. Some people are listening to songs beforehand. If you know your thing, we want to know about it. If you have got your track in mind, if you've got your winner, if you think we've made mistakes, yeah class stuff if you want to get in touch with us the contact details are in the bottom of your podcast thing just scroll down but stay here obviously we've got an email from ryan who's been a long time listener a long time corresponder as well (laughs) and he says all right lads long time no speak been catching up and continuing to appreciate what a banger of a year this was with stuff like beautiful day what an iconic intro for footy fans and kids oh he says one of the best duets ever from robbie and kylie um, what about same difference off the X Factor? That was brilliant. <laughs> we're not there yet. We're not. We're not. But if if only they charted at all. He says he's equally shocked by some of the things he's learning too. Who let the dogs out is a cover. I know. I know. Sorry for. I know. We're sorry for giving you knowledge like that because you know your brain's important. We're filling it with shit like that. I know. So yeah, it, it looks it looks like Ryan's had a lot of catch up to do because he says he's shocked I dropped seven days so early. That was like a month ago. But uh, he says he hasn't caught up yet, so he thinks can't fight the moonlight is an anthem to end all anthems, Ooh. and more importantly, one more time. 
which I've got so many happy memories of and is one of the best tunes ever. That final build is life-affirming. I live in hope that one of you picked it as a series winner. Well, guess what, Ryan? You're in luck. I love... I love, love, love whenever we speak to people and they aren't caught up and they say what they think we should do and it's right. Yes. So yeah. um, a friend of mine is well behind because he got a full-time job and he has caught up and got to the week of spinning around where I first chose spinning around mm. and he's like, oh, this is brilliant. This should win. He has no idea that we're on 10 weeks of spinning around because he's not <laughs> that deep in. And um, I was just like, that's that's very interesting that you've, that you've said that. Mm. We've had some comments in as well. Megan Scott has said, really good week. Uh, but if I did have to go with one, I would go with Daft Punk. Mm-hmm. Um, Samantha Key's favourite winners were Destiny's Child, Leanne Rhymes, and Wu Tang Clan. Mm. I feel like we've maybe overlooked Leanne Rhymes. Oh, so many comments for Leanne Rhymes. Yeah, I know, I know, I do feel bad. And she actually liked our social media posts too. I know, I know. Mm. She's mm. she's she's in our she's in our notifications, haunting us for the choices we failed to make last week. But what can you do? It's tough, man. It's tough. Beth Smith's been on. She says, "Can't fight the moonlight" is a fave, and she sung it on karaoke on her holidays. It's a good karaoke song, isn't it? I guess because it comes from <laughs> a film that is essentially, you know, very very karaoke centric in many senses. Yeah. Mm. Uh, one from your lovely wife, Victoria. She says, uh, "Daft Punk and Public Domain for sure." Daft Punk reminds me of Uni and my bestie Nicola. Oh, beacons. Nice. It's good to have memories. And uh, finally, from Pig Disc on Instagram, he says that chorus of Gravel Pit often reappears in my head at random times. You know what? It has for me as well. Has it? I've had it in my head a lot this week. Yeah. It's done it Check for me out too. My yeah, yeah, yeah. Pit. yeah. And I keep saying it really randomly. My wife's just like, really? Really? But yeah, I keep saying Gravel Pit at random times and I don't understand <laughs> why. And it's it's scary. Like, what have Wu Tang done? Especially now you know what a Gravel Pit actually is. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's get into this week's tracks then. <laughs> So we all love a bit of charity This was the Children in Need song For the year 2000 I remember it well Probably had a pair of pudsy ears myself This is the single then This is S Club 7 I never had a dream come true I never had a dream written this down as Joe O'Meara and the Six Supremes yeah pretty much yeah there the, the really isn't much else mm-hmm. is there apart from Joe and we've said before that there's been some tracks that do have her as a lead and are dominated by her and you do wonder what's the point of having the band there there's been the one that was done by Rachel which we natural. did last natural yeah but yeah it's a lot of Joe do you feel I certainly felt in this one that they came together nicely in the chorus for the harmonisation I don't know how I'd feel if I was part of the band and I was just left on backing vocals but yeah I'd be intrigued to see how it all went down and people's moods and things like that and whether it was pre-agreed, whether it happened afterwards. But this was a number one track. I'm not actually that bothered about the fact that not many of them sing in this one because it's done so well. Whereas Mm. there's some steps tracks where there's a lot of void people just floating around in the background. Whereas that seems like that would be more of a contentious matter within that band. Whereas here... I don't know if this was a problem, but it doesn't feel like a problem. It hasn't been produced as a problem. No. Everybody in the video contributes to the backing vocal at the correct time. So 
nobody's my thing when Joe's singing, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. really, I would never have sat down and analysed this track because I would have skipped it because it's a ballad. But it's really, really beautiful. Isn't it? I, I, I'm glad it you... It really is, I'm yeah. glad you agree. First of all, it starts off with a lyric that just can't help but tug on your heart. I mean, first of all, you get some Spanish guitar, which I'm always a sucker for. Mm-hmm. Spanish guitar, wintery video, mm-hmm. bit of a head fuck, but I can get on board with it. <laughs> the first lyric, everybody's got something they had to leave behind. Does it make you just go... Oh yeah, it's really. You just, you, oh. you, just, you just sort of go. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. It's of, introspective. It's yeah. it's emotional. Yeah. You picture a children's podsy bear being left by itself at the start, don't you? Yeah. And then you know you can totally amend it to your own personal circumstances. So if you're a child, it can be about a toy. If you're um, an adolescent, it can be like about an ex-girlfriend, boyfriend. If you've had a loss in your life, it can be about that. You know, there's so many different ways to interpret the song, and um, it's just really powerful and. The thing is, you don't notice because sometimes, even though S Club 7 songs have been written by some of the best writers, you just don't associate them with being so good. But actually, this piece of writing is bloody good. Mm. It is very, very good. It's back to the heritage and the legacy of Kathy Dennis and S Club veteran Simon Ellis. And yeah, it's a really beautifully written track, isn't it? That works works to complement the entire band, even just the little tiny bits of sort of complimentary lines like Rachel when she comes with the words to say as part of the chorus mm-hmm. it's just like a nice thing that bit gives me a little bit of a tingle just like an echo to Joe yeah just kind of just building around her yeah it's a really well put together track but you expect no less if it's Kathy Dennis and, and, and this group doing a somewhat more mature sound we said for natural it was kind of a bit more mature mm-hmm. a bit more almost sexed up yeah a bit confusing for the kids who've been watching like bring it all back and all of a sudden they're <laughs> wondering why they're well, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I've seen some people say it's kind of bland. I think you have to listen to it. It's a bit like it's a bit like in Friends when Rachel makes a trifle. You have to dig into it deep and you've got to go through all the layers. You want the beef, you want the peas, you want the jam, you want the ladyfingers, you want the cream. Because <laughs> even when you like in the first few seconds, it does have a few of the cheesy Casio elements, you know, the, the keyboard kind of weird elements at the start, but it's got chimes and stuff in it. And it, it mm. like it ticks so many boxes. It's weird, right? If you put this beside Spice Girls 2 become one, the Spice Girls really show you how to do it. But here, it's just the same kind of a thing. Not as well done, but it's just it's just beautiful and grand and a really like simple way. No, it was really weird, right? As I was listening to this, got a message off somebody and they messaged me to say they've just broken up with someone and that they think that they'll always love each other, but it's just not right. And that's exactly what that song is about. Mm, it's like, mm. how the hell has this just happened at this time? When I'm listening to the song, it was actually really, really creepy. Whenever I'm sitting listening to the words, did you send them a link? I, I didn't because there, I don't think I don't think it's that. I don't think they're there yet. No. Um, no. But yeah, uh, and I will tell them when I think, if I ever get to a point where they'll, they'll, mm, they'll probably not listen to this. appropriate, yeah. Yeah. Um, but lyrically, this could sell now. Yeah. Like, this would still sell today. It wouldn't chart big, now, but... Not, not, I don't think the production would sell now, but I mean, lyrically, if somebody took this on or somebody did a cover of it, this could be a big, a big, big track mm. again, just because there's so much to it. I'd like to think so. I think it, it could be a nice thing to come back. 20 years, 20 years... There's a brilliant video, and I've mentioned this guy before, Todd in the Shadows on YouTube, who does a series called One Hit Wonderland. He's American, so he does One Hit Wonders of America, but he references the fact that S Club were big all across the world. This was their only hit in America. It was number 10 
on the Billboard chart. Number 10. That's and just, just to, to throw ahead one week, we're doing Eminem Stan next week. Eminem Stan. That was 53 on the Billboard chart. <laughs> this was number 10. Number, number 10, 10 for S Club. And this like slow ballad. But he says that a lot of these ballads were doing well over in, in the US because that was the market. That was the audience. Mm-hmm. He said it was too kiddie for Radio Disney. And you play it on Nick Jr. Jr. Mm. So he's not a big fan. And it, it, it possibly is quite childish com- compared to the, to the rest of other bands around that time. And he also questioned the charity value. Now, this is a charity single. It was for children in need. If you're going to do a single, you're going to get one of the biggest bands possible. You know, think of the bands that have done them since. One Direction. You're talking about other X Factor sort of people who've just amassed an enormous amount of fame and success. He suggests that the only beneficiaries of this track was the band themselves scoring that big hit in America. Really, what's the charity value of doing this single? I'm not sure I agree, but... I don't. S Club 7 never made any money. S Club 7, I remember it was a Hannah Spirit in an interview said that between them, all seven of them in the whole span of their career, they earned about £200,000 each. Mm. That wouldn't buy you a three-bed semi where any of them live. No. Like, that. that's not a lot... It is a lot of money on the grand scale of things, but compared to pop bands and dividing by seven they struck a really crap deal mm. as members of that band. Um, if that's true, I just was quoting what I've, what I've seen from her, but I don't think that they've ever cashed in on anything. Like, I don't see S Club 7 being rich. You know, how many how many years have you been to your university freshers and S Club 3 have been doing their thing <laughs> for probably 250 quid each a gig? Yeah. That's, they're not rolling in it. No. It's not about that, and I don't think that they did make big bucks off it but th- it's weird that like I don't even think you focus on this as being a charity single you know the video is cold it's glacier there's wintery coats they're already mm. cosy it's massively Christmassy would you say this is a Christmas track to you nowadays well this this is one thing I want to say is that people do associate it with Christmas because it came out November came out children need they're all wearing wintery coats almost like East 17 mm-hmm. I'd probably I'd probably say it's more of a wintery thing not a Christmas thing just a wintery thing yeah. I'd probably need to hear it in the winter because of the makeup and stuff I think one, one thing that's really subtle about it is just like the sort of like the, the icy makeup that the girls have all got on. The, 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 if we're going to talk about the video, specifically the lads are separated from the lasses, maybe it's because you can't fit all seven on screen, as I found <laughs> in most, most S-Club videos. You can't fit all seven on screen. There's just too many of them. Mm-hmm. And back then, you know, screens were all like four, three. There was no widescreen, so it was impossible. The lads look really out of place, but the girls are all really well done up mm-hmm. in a variety of different coats. Some of them, some, Sometimes even like sort of more skimpier outfits like that aren't big woolly coats that maybe do associate with different seasons but no for me it's wintery and and not necessarily Christmassy yeah I think I would need to watch the music channels at Christmas to see what happens I swear this gets like spat out on something like Magic Christmas Mm. you know Mm. because in my head this is a Christmas song and I love it as a Christmas song like you know I think it's brilliant but I do think songwriting wise absolutely every word in that deserved to be a number one So you would argue that S Club 7 were one of the biggest pop bands of that generation. Well, move aside, you don't you don't compare to the Queen of Pop. That is Madonna. Here she is going a bit more country, a bit more yee-haw, but equally with a, a modern twist. This is her single Don't Tell Me. I didn't remember this by name, mm. and then the very first beat 
brought me straight back to this track. Yeah. It's almost an intro just. It's not fully an intro just for me, but it's almost an intro just just because it's such a strange contemporary country vibe from the outgo. Yeah. I think I like my introduces to be like coherent and not make me think that my Wi-Fi is going bust because <laughs> it does kind of gl- <laughs> it glitches and stops and starts, doesn't it? And sort of you would think that your Wi-Fi was having problems because it does just cut at random points and then speed up again. And it's a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. I remember at the time, now that you're saying that, people that had that on CD, and I think I must have had it on like uh, some sort of like now compilations. You think your CD was skipping the first mm-hmm. time. You, know, you always mm-hmm. do that double, you do that double take and check. For me, when the strings come in to this, because they only come in very subtly as it progresses, it's so atmospheric. Mm. They don't come in until like 50 seconds in, but the strings come in and it throws you straight back to her Ray of Light vibes from an album before. They come back big at the end and whenever they do come back, I really, really love them. But this for me was like Madonna just being like, I'm just going to do a song to show people I'm better than Cheryl Crow. Yeah. And I'll just do one. And she smashes it. It's such a strange song. It's so, so good. She gets a lot of credit on this one for, some would say, reinventing country music. At this point, country was a lot of yeehaw dudes with trucks and beer and, you know, misogyny in some cases. This just totally flipped it. And, and certainly the fashion as well. You know, Madonna owned that cowboy hat. She owned those pants. She owned that leather jacket and she just made it something totally different and transformative we use that word a lot but i think this is one of the most noble cases because she's just totally brought something that was mainstream in some regard but she made it for everyone it's a song that she's created about telling lovers not to control her which is actually like you've just said about the truckers and all of that and the misogyny it's a really smart thing for her to have done to place that song into that culture to tell people hold in a second this is how we talk about women these days everything you're saying you're being idiots mm. this is how you should be talking about women and i'm gonna lead the way and all of a sudden madge comes in and like steals steals focus but it was whenever it was whenever she'd voiced it and then it was sent away for production and then it came back to her it was a complete different vibe and she was actually holding a second i'm gonna change this up and she spun it around and she was the one that made it into a country dance track mm. so she's practically responsible for the whole production vibe behind it which is just like so impressive because you you kind of question whether she does the production side of things really because you know we've had orbit so far orbit 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 Mm. it's really nice to know that she stuck her nose in and actually her decisions are big dollar global decisions and the, the person who did the starting point for this was Merwaz Amadzi, who did music. But again, it sounds like she had a lot of influence in making it the track that it is. But this continues to be a theme. You know, it, it is close to Ray of Light, but certainly it's leading more down towards that path that she goes down to. Eventually, you know, the next record we've said before, American Life, was was trashed. But this, this is really great. People were really complimentary of this. People who reviewed the album were saying this was a stunner. NME called it Alt-Alt-Country, which is a lot to get your head around, but it's it's very true. I like that. It's, it's an interesting thing. It's got like a bit of Sweet Home Alabama about it. I know that's kind of a cliche thing to say about country music, but it does. And I think if you're going to have that as a starting point for a country track that's like modern, you would want to go there. You see also Kid Rock or some along. I'd rather not see that, but it does happen. It, it is referenced in that. It's got a bit of Beck in it too. It's a similar way of of how Beck twisted country music and folk music, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. For me, coming from Ireland where country music's very big there and Garth Brooks is a very big deal, all of mm. our Irish musicians are very big deal. It kind of, at the time, drew us all in because, you know, we were very big on line dancing. It's no slapping leather and it's no boot scoot and boogie or anything like that, but it <laughs> is good. And she, she does line dancing and things in the video. And then, you know, Madonna's the one person that all of a sudden can just like shimmy forward in her cowgirl outfit and make it actually 
really sexy to be a line dancer. Yeah, yeah. You know, so Madge just twists everything. There's a rodeo bull in it as well, which she nails and like obviously hasn't had six Jaegers like the last time I went on a rodeo bull. <laughs> but she owns this. I still think that sometimes I'm very big on, you know, you need to have entry level tracks for people to find the subculture. And I do feel like this is kind of that for many people that have never experienced country music if you've just come from like bubblegum pop and you hear this you might think oh oh i'm gonna go and listen to garth brooks or i'm gonna go and listen to cheryl crow and it sends you in that way but i still think when you get in deeper into country there's there's much weirder stuff in there but also i I think she's like a two-way street i think she's pulling people out of country and showing them how to be feminist and girls stand up for yourself you know she's she's a feeder in two directions whereas sometimes i think people only feed down into the underground whereas I think Madonna's like a nice little buffer in the middle with this track Mm, I agree fun fact this was Madonna's final single to be released on cassette in the US (laughs) end of an era Uh it's ending it wasn't it wasn't the final in the UK the last one here was Dying of the Day in 2002 so we had it a bit longer than than, than they Mm -hmm. did but yeah end of an era and I can imagine it's one of those tracks that would sound would sound authentic on a cassette in a car yeah you would hear the ding did a little ding ding and it would do the pull-up thing where it stops for a second you'd think that your cassette players eating the tape in your cassette mm-hmm. and you'd be mm-hmm. you'd be panicking you'd have that whole <laughs> panic that's very very quick panic with that one okay here comes another big 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 star still in the early years of her career you'd think that maybe at this point she's starting to show signs that she could herself become the new queen of pop perhaps this is britney spears another max martin production this is stronger is such an introduce how did this only get to number seven in the chart i, I guess it maybe is the thing that people had the album by this point i don't know i i think it's a pretty it's a strong to to avoid a pun i, I didn't avoid it. I, I walked straight into it but it is a strong track isn't it and it's a strong max martin production as we said it really is what's really weird for me is listening to it right because i've never zoomed in it as much as i have done mm. this felt very backstreet boys to me which it, obviously it, he it's very very backstreet boys. Uh, yeah but not one of the ones that Max Martin's produced. It feels to me very bye 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 ish. I think it's maybe the like that's in sync. Big massive uh, horn that you get through it, um, which is my favourite element of it. I think that horn makes it feel really dark. And what we're seeing is we're seeing a bit of a a darker, more prominent, feisty version of Britney in this one, which is where I'm totally on board with Britney through everything and every element of this. It's a song about her being tired of a cheating boyfriend and just really deciding to move on alone. People have looked quite close into it and said that maybe it's actually about management, record label, and this is her saying, I'm stronger than yesterday. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to kind of own things a bit more. She references Hit Me Baby One More Time in the chorus. She has my loneliness ain't killing me no more. Ooh, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring that back, if you're gonna put a twist, that's how you do it. She also said, "I'm not your property. I don't need nobody." That's supposedly the shot of management that's, that I'm referring to. It's kind of sad though that 20 years later, that Britney still kind of is trapped after saying, "You know, my loneliness didn't kill me no more. I'm not your property." That she's still in that conservatorship thing where you know she's 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 been looked after by people. She's not responsible for her own actions and stuff. And there's been a big movement over the last few years of like hashtag free Britney. 
from from these clutches that she finds herself in it's kind of sad isn't it it's so weird because so many people whenever you're younger would love something like that and then actually it's just it's just not the way that you think mm. It really is. But I watched this on SMTV. It was actually on yeah. CD UK. <laughs> and I remember it from the time as well. And I think what was really interesting about this is it's got a really big atmospheric video. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think as a pop star, what you'd be able to need to be able to do is go to a variation of stages and own the different size stages. And like, you know, Britney can strut and own a massive, massive stage. But she like smashes the CD UK stage as well you know it's it's actually quite a big stage for the size of the the TV program but she's brilliant on it like she's it's all eyes on Britney the crowd are going for it everybody's loving it but she really does suck everybody in through this track Mm, I totally agree Uh, I think First of all, that big bass note you mentioned at the start, it's kind of jaw-dropping as Mm -hmm. as an opening gambit. It's just like, whoa, this is going to be something interesting. And people have sort of said that the first two albums are quite similar. You know, she had Hit Me Baby one more time. And then when uh, Oops, I Did It Again came around, people said, yeah, it's kind of more the same. Excited to see what she does with the third album. And I mean, when the third album comes out and I'm a Slave For You is the first single, you kind of go, (laughs) shit. Mm Mm-hmm bloody hell and this is maybe the first hint towards that darker side certainly in the video the director joseph khan said in 2009 to mtv that this on on the set of the video she was kind of pushing it further than management wanted to like she she would do things at one point she kind of like opened her legs and the management were like no you can't do that and she's like no i'm doing it i'm doing this and you know she's like 18 19 at this point but she's pushing it i think she's fully aware that she wants to shed that teen image and go for the the more adult side, even this early in the career. I quite like that. Yeah, apparently she walked in to the brief and was like, right, hold on a second, because they kind of say that Britney ended up creating the video because she mm, went in and she mm. said, I want a chair, I want to drive a car, I want to break up with a boyfriend, but you can do <laughs> whatever you want around that, but this is my prerequisite of what needs to happen in this video to to make it work with a song. And I think it's, it's really, really strong. Now, lyrically with this one, I think Madge's lyrics are really good in the one that we've just gone through, but actually there's something about the way Britney's brought them all forward in the the Britney piece that makes hers a much more successful feminist track, whereas I think there's so much going on. And even the thing is, there's so much going on in Britney's production. There's so much going on lyrically. Madonna's production is stifling the message within Madonna's song. You don't notice Mm. how much of a feminist track Madonna's track is. We're actually with Stronger, you feel it. It's actually uplifting. It's feminist. It's everything in one kind of go. So I think it's a really big, smart, tick a lot of boxes song. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah, I I think in this one, if you don't already like Britney's weird voice that she has, you know, a distinctive voice, I think this one won't make any new fans because in those verses, it's very, isn't it? Yes. It's kind of more legible in the, in the, in the, the choruses. I love the big key change that it has. I think it sounds a lot like I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. I know you said Bye 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 and Sync, I've said Backstreet Boys. I think it's all kind of in the same wheelhouse, isn't it? We're quite lucky in the year 2000 that pop music sounded like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a big force. Um, again, referring to Todd in the Shadows from before, he says of the Max Martin style, especially compared to S Club, that it's incredibly forceful in your face, like a tank rolling through your city. It's unstoppable. And that is true, isn't it? You, once you've heard a Max Martin production, you, you don't forget it very easily because no. it's just bomb, 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 bomb. It it's, it's like being pummeled in the head. It is in your face. And that's why I'm like, how did it not get bigger than number seven? Mm. But it could be, you know, like you said, it could be albums. It could be, you know, Britney's voice was always very distinct and always 
drew attention there's some small effects on it that's like hash down stop you know there's x there's extra on it compared to normal so that might push people away but i think for me this is one of my favorite britney tracks Mm. really Mm -hmm. allpop.com back when the album first came out they counted how many times the word baby appeared because as you can imagine it comes up quite a lot if you want to put a guess it's a 12 track album how many mentions of the word baby do you think Oh, so let's say, right, we do 12, let's say we do three choruses a song. So what are you talking? You're talking 12, 13, 14, okay, 36. Let's say 36. Is it, did I get it exactly <laughs> it's right? 36, yeah. <laughs> it's 36. <laughs> and, and you've, you've done... I'd have kept guessing had you not reacted there, mind. I know, I just totally hit It's like, <gasps> three of them are on this track. So the math kind of works out <laughs> that one twelfth of the, of the babies come on this track. So yeah, it works out mathematically. Well done. Mm-hmm. Final point in the comments of the video there was somebody trying to start a thing and it, I mean successfully because it, it became a bit of a pylon but people saying like you know oh Britney was doing this back when she was 17 18 like people say Billie Eilish is the same these days and then she is Billie Eilish is shit yeah she's so annoying you can't age wise yeah you can put them side by side but they've come through such different ways and do such different music you can't you can't possibly try and compare Britney to Billie Eilish it's just not possible no that's just really reductive Billie Eilish yeah, Billie Eilish in this era of people feels to me like they have got way more control in what they do. Yeah. And like probably still not enough control, but I feel like this day and age era of management have learned from the Britney and Christinas and the the hypersexuality that they were selling, you know, at this era. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping people have learned from, but I do feel like, you know, Billie Eilish wears jumpers to cover her body. Not many record labels would let you just do that, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I think Ed Sheeran changed a lot of things as well. You know, you need me, man, I don't need you. That was him giving his fingers the same way as Britney potentially is in this track. Mm-hmm. To record labels, it was telling Simon Cowell to get lost as far as I'm aware. But it's an amazing, amazing thing these days that there's much more flexibility and hopefully safety for our artists in 2020. Right then, this is the third appearance of Sonique. She's had some bangers so far. She did It Feels So Good. She did Sky. And now she's coming in with a cover. This, well, sort of. This is I Put A Spell On You. Put a spell on you. another intro just for me mm. string 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 strings mm-hmm. all over the shop filthy so this is a cover i say it's a cover this is kind of as transformative as it gets for me because really if you're not listening to the lyrics closely this is just a different track isn't it you know what i mean it's it is the lyrics of uh, original from screaming jay hawkins and really he does scream uh, let's take a listen i put a spell on you And then again, it was covered in 1965. Maybe the one that's most known from Nina Simone, which sounds like this. I put a spell on you. Cause 
see in my day it's more known for being Bette Midler in Hocus Pocus ah it's interesting though isn't it because it's uh, that's a lot of different versions of the same song that all uh-huh. sound totally different yeah is there a track that has that same thing where all of the versions just sound totally you know you, you couldn't line them up side by side and go oh they've copied I don't know this for me is pretty different in many respects. This for me feels more like a sample mm-hmm. yeah. as opposed to a cover, whereas some of them do sound like more like covers. But this is the best performer out of all of them. So it's been it's been done by a lot of people, but this got to number eight in the charts and mm-hmm. nothing else mm-hmm. got that high in the UK. So this is actually the most successful one. But whenever you say Nina Simone did a track and Sonic beat it, you know, yeah. it's pretty mm-hmm. odd there. But this works well as a dance track, which is odd because I only, I only ever play it on my radio show around Halloween. <laughs> right. Because... I feel like I feel like the strings in the world spell yeah. just give you a real Halloween vibe. Yeah, I know what you mean. In terms of dance music, I and mean, we've covered so much different stuff on the show. This is kind of on the sophisticated, isn't it? I think I think Sonique's always been quite cool and sophisticated. This is just one of those that's just high class production, high class performer. Yeah, those strings are just so beautiful. Or there's like a really nice blend between orchestral and darkness and it for some strange reason you know it, it just really works for me like i'm really i'm really big on this just because i think everything comes together really really nicely like the sultriness of her voice goes well with the darker elements of production the strings then give it some life and um, it breaks down where it needs to break down it ramps back up where it needs to ramp up and i hate that it's so forgotten when you talk about cynic really mm. you know it wasn't one I knew, and when I saw it coming up on the list, I was like, I put a spell on you, I could hear Nina Simone, I, was, I could hear the original from Screaming Jay Hawkins, and I thought, mm, I, hope this, I hope this doesn't like sort of bring the mood down a bit, I hope it doesn't take the mood down. And certainly, Sonique has a voice that if she wanted to do a straight-up cover of Nina Simone, she could. Mm-hmm. She totally could. But of course, she twists it and makes it something different, and I love I loved that about her. I feel, I feel like everything she's done so far has just been unexpected, surprising stand out compared to other stuff i just love the way she's sort of when she's not climbing through lasers and running around in the video she's just strutting really yeah. effortlessly uh-huh. and cool uh- you know what i mean she's just so calm and she, she has she has a pop star quality about her but i feel like she is more than that i think she's happy being like an artist yeah there's always been like that really strong element about her like there's something really cool or something really inviting something welcoming you'd be really shocked if she was a dickhead in real life wouldn't you i hope i hope not you, know, you really yeah. really would yeah i hope she's not but um I think she's really, really good. This was a re-release, so this got to number 36 in 1998, and she re-released it, mm. but she'd also released some of her other tracks too, so 1998 was her first attempt at getting these out, and finally, we, we've got them, and they've performed where they, they really deserve to have performed. But Which is good, because I think you'd be, I don't know about you, but I think if I made a track this good, now it got number 36, you'd be a bit gutted, wouldn't you? You'd sort of wish it did a bit better. I'm glad she got the second chance to yeah. prop it up a bit, bit higher. Well, a lot higher. I think if it's your debut, you would... I think if it was a debut track, you'd be buzzing that you got into the top 40. Yeah, But yeah, I think yeah. she but had part, had some part, before part that. Part of your deep you down know. inside, you know, part of your deep down inside to think, oh, yeah. you know, really? Compared to some of the twats up there? <laughs> I think if you've got... I think it depends on the machine that you've got behind you. You know, if you're working with a lot of indies yeah. and you're, like, doing all of your stuff out via Ibiza and all of that kind of crack to get to the top 40 is mint. But, you know, if you are girl thing and you've got Simon Kyle behind you and you are going to be number one... And it doesn't work. That's when it would really, 
hurt you as such but mm. so the video you've mentioned lasers and stuff so the, the, the video just seems to focus on a bit of a break in she's navigating her way through laser beams you know to not set off the detectors she does some dancing while she's in the laser beams she comes across in a topless guy in a glass case manages to kind of get the key code and swipe in to get him she kisses him and then he changes to an old dude with some saggy man breasts mm. so um yeah mm. so what she did is she found scott at 17 18 <laughs> in the box and then she kissed him yeah and then she's found the 36 year old virgin that's recording the virgin <laughs> the 36 year old virgin that's recording this podcast right now <clears throat> um yeah I, I i'm surprised this didn't do better i think it's not my favorite sonique track but I think her as an artist, she's been a real ray of light across the series, hasn't she? She's just been such a standout. It's out of season, though. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird December track, isn't it? It is weird for December. So if you think about the November ones that we had, so we had what Public Domain Operation Blade recently. We've had um, some other bits and pieces. We've had Darudes and all of that kind of crack. So those work well, and they worked well at this time in clubs. So people were still going out tonight clubs and they were going for it. This one isn't necessarily a deep club track. This one is very much a a summer poolside bars on the way to nights out and stuff like that you know this was a very different vibe one so mm. to get to number eight at this time of year with this style of track is practically her getting like a number two or a number three within her genre really yeah i guess you so, know yeah mm-hmm. last sneak track we're gonna have on the is it really podcast oh yeah it's the last one that's disappointing but mm-hmm. i'm glad that she's gone three for three it's a perfect hat trick for me she's not she's not put a foot wrong so that, that, no, that's comforting comforting to know what a run yeah so, do you remember last week we did a track by a public domain called Operation Blade, Base in the Place? Then this might sound a little bit familiar. It's almost like it's the exact same sample. This is Warp Brothers and Aquagen with Fat Bass. I hear all the differences. This is like in The Devil Wears Prada, which I know that you've not seen. Anne Hathaway laughs at this girl holding up two different shades of belt because she says they look exactly the same. And then Meryl Streep turns around and serves her. And you probably should watch that scene at least. That is like the Mm. best serve you've ever seen in your life on like a Meryl Streep film. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I can can hear the differences. But I can understand that it's a really clear, obvious sample. Yeah, It's so strange. So we did bring you the Public Domain Operation Blade one that got to number five, which was a sample of New Order Confusion, the Pump Panel Reconstruction Mix. This is also a sample of that exact same remix of a track. I don't know how two of them have been done at the same time. So close together. Like literally like a a few weeks apart, yeah. Yeah, and it's fat with a pH. That's my favourite type Mm. of fat. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be that. It can't be fat. If if it's it's fat, then it's just like, oh, you're fat. Whereas it's not not, not to fat shame because I'm fat. Fat with a pH, that's the way to do it. That just takes it to a different level, doesn't it? Yeah, I've lost my shit to this many times at the Gortina and Limavati and Lush (laughs) as well. So this is one, if we talk about Sneak, this one fits into that club scenario where it's a late night track and then you've got memories to it and you go and buy it whereas Sneaks is harder to make memories to because your experience with Sneaks is probably in November and December radio play Mm. so it is a very different position track elements of it 
I really, really like it. The bass is actually very fat. I know it's called fat bass, but really it is a, a knee stomper. You know, it's a knee jerker. Mm-hmm. But for me, I always find it really weird because at one point in the song, it goes, I want you to stop and listen to this fat bass. Then it pauses. <laughs> and then it's not actually bass that comes in. The bass doesn't actually come in for another four phrases, which is the oddest. That takes about, that must be four phrases on one. It's probably about another 40 seconds for the bass to actually come in. Um, so it is odd. Yeah. And did get to number nine. Public Domain got to number five. I prefer mm. Public Domain, even though I do Me. respect this, but yeah, I'm a Public Domain guy. I think we're the only podcast that would dissect lyrics of a dance track when people are in clubs, they're off their tits, they're not really focused on what people are saying. I mean, there's certain words might stand up, but really, like, nobody's putting under a microscope like we are. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like Public Domain better as well. Again, I don't I don't dislike this. It's definitely more Eurodance. It's got, like, a mysterious culty aspect to it, and certainly the video has that too. It has, like, a weird floaty section in the middle. I just like the pure pace of public domain i love that it's just relentless it has an mc it's just it's just like a riot this is kind of a bit floatier i prefer the riot i think i like getting lost in that performance that we watched yeah. last week there's there's different versions of this right so this is actually really hard to find online so there's a good chance if anybody goes and googles it and tries to find it you'll just not find the correct version because originally it was like well was this was original and then there was a warp brother version which just has a different vibe to it but you're looking for if you're going to youtube it or anything you're kind of looking for warp brothers and aquagen fat bass 2000 remix right and that's that's the one you kind of just want to look for it's got a music video and stuff to it as well but there are other music videos that aren't the correct song so it's it's confusing to find because there's so much and so many different versions of it that mm. come back, it's hard to figure out which one's which. That's a bit like when we've we've done that on we've put songs on Spotify playlists before, and it's like, Jesus, which one is it? Yeah. There's just so many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think to look at both of them, you know, that sample could have been annoying in the wrong hands. It could have been repetitive. It could have been like a complete head fuck, but mm-hmm. both of them be, have, have been done really well. And, and you've mentioned there about the goatine and and going there and you know hearing it come on, losing your shit. Do you think there were some people who would hear those that sample come in and go, oh, which one is it? Please be the public domain or like, please be Warp Brothers. And depending on which one it was or wasn't, you get like a bit, <laughs> it could be like, a, you could walk off the dance floor. Like same for the radio, if you heard those few beats, you just flicked on, you go, oh, please be public domain, please, please, please. And it just turns into Warp Brothers. You go, ah, fuck. Yeah, potentially. Because there's been eras like this in dance music where there's been fights. So I remember Waiting for a Star to Fall came back on three tracks at once probably in about 2005 mm. 2004 five or six yeah, so you had yeah. sunset strippers you had cabin crew and then you had milo and obviously milo did a really cool version of that crossed with betty davis eyes so milo's version was was kind of the best out of all of them mm. it was just very chill so the other two did well in bars and clubs but yeah so there's it's one of those eras where it's so strange to have two people take on the same track at once you know uh, it was just pretty pretty weird time <laughs> second single now from the second album of Wyclef Jean here it is with Mary J Blige oh what a collaboration this is 911 someone please call 911 pick up the phone yo tell them I just been shot down in the bullets in my heart and it's piercing through my soul I'm losing blood yo feel my It took me to the pre-chorus to start finding this familiar. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out what the hell is this track. So pre-chorus familiar. As soon as the chorus dropped, I remembered it. I really did remember it. And I remember 
like knowing the words to the chorus didn't know as many of the words to the rest of it such a strange thing to throw back to of such a high expectation of Wycliffe at this point because what was the last one it doesn't it, matter yeah that's it yeah I was expecting this to be miles apart and especially with Mary J on it because she's Miguel mm-hmm. instrumentally I think it's really really great yeah Wycliffe doesn't impress me as much as I need him to impress me though which is mm. really devastating I know what you mean I think a lot of people make comparisons to Bob Marley and really with your eyes closed it's Bob Marley isn't it I think so tone and everything of him like he's brilliant tone wise what what for me it is with Wycliffe isn't it's just it's just circumstantial that the fact that it's him delivering it at this pace it's the pace of the story and the verses the story's too slow mm-hmm. and I'm wanting the story faster and then whenever Mary comes in I feel like she delivers it faster and then all of a sudden it becomes all about her and then she I actually end up I end up preferring the pre-chorus to the chorus I like the story within the pre-chorus better yeah Wycliffe's chorus for me is boring even though what he's doing as Wycliffe's great but then what you do you see the second time the chorus comes out Mary J does it and hers is great someone please same lyrics mm. she just does it and it completely works for me and then it kind of comes back to a battle between the two of them and she's great and he's a bit boring I'm like, how on earth, how am I living in a world right now where I'm saying that Wycliffe Jean's boring? I don't understand how I've got to that point because really, I understand how he's great. Yeah, if there's one thing you don't want from a second single, you know, album hasn't come out yet, he's still building a promotional hype, is that you're going to get a, you're, you're going to be boring, first of all, and then you get a guest artist who just totally outshines you. Uh-huh. And like the, 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 the disparity between them is so enormous. Like when Mary walks in, that for me was when it clicked. I'd liked it to that point. I couldn't get the Bob Marley thing out of my head. I, I heard the song before I li- before I read it on it, so I, I immediately got that straight away because it's just unmistakable. She walks in, she oozes credibility, she oozes class. I mean, like when has she not done that? When she not walked into a song and just made it like a different thing, made it a better thing. Mm-hmm. She just elevates everything that she does. I couldn't be more positive about Mary J. Blige, especially when there's just there's bits of, of Wycliffe that just don't really work. Like, I wish I wish there's more of him in there, and I wish he didn't do those, like... Well, actually, I'm not sure. He does those sort of, like, shrieky notes at the end of his chorus. They're, like, really high bits, and it kind of, like, cracks. It's almost like... If I was to be positive, I would say that he's conveying the desperation of the story so well that those notes are kind of like... Yes. Yeah! But equally, it's like when they first come along, you go, oh, yeah, Mary could do that, but it's a bit weird when you yeah, do that but I think that's kind of his thing and I think that's where his kind of talent really lies it's his ability to make the words in a story land but like I'm saying for me he's just doing that too slowly mm. he said that like Mary just like bangs it and makes everything great have I ever told you about the time I walked into her no whenever me and my wife went on our honeymoon we went to New York and we decided to stay in a very nice hotel because you know you only do these things once yeah. so we stayed in a very very nice hotel and overlooked Central Park. Mm-hmm. And there was loads of famous staying in it because there was some sort of like weird Academy Award kind of a thing going on. Um, and we looked down out of our window and you could see red carpets. It turned out, though, that the room service people were kind of coming around to clean the room. And you get charged £50 corkage for every bottle that they find in your room that has a cork taken out of it, you know, if you drink in your room. Oh, yeah. So little little Scott puts on his like little chavy zippy up top, <laughs> puts on his jeans. It's like, right, because the gist was we had to go around the corner every day to a public bin with my bag on my school bag. 
with the bottles so that the bottles didn't get found in the room. So I needed to get rid of these bottles quickly so we didn't end up with like a blooming £400 corkage bill for the room. And I uh, ran around the corner, onto, I think it was actually onto 6th Avenue because we were between 5th and 6th, onto 6th Avenue, dumped them all in the bin and then came running back around the corner and went to run into the hotel door, into the front door. And as I was running in, Mary J. Blige comes out, the paps are getting there and there's me smacks straight into her. <laughs> Like Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone, but really, really chavy in my like little stripey zippy up top. So Mary J, Saul's babe. There you are. If if I go on like an image site like Getty and I search for her name and the, the rough sort of time, will there be pictures of you in your strappy little hoodie in the back of like a red carpet shot of you like, hey, uh, I'll drop me bottles. <laughs> no, it was so strange. I don't think there actually is um, because the bottles have gone by this point. But um, I remember on that same stretch of road, what you would do is you'd see famous people just like being really, really chill and people mm. not disrupting them. It must have been like people in New York used to yeah. seeing really famous people. Yeah. I was walking down with my wife holding her hand and then I just started to squeeze her hand and squeeze her hand and she was just going, ow, 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 ow. It's ow, Rachel Stevens. Ow, ow, what are you Guess who it was? It was Spielberg. Bloody hell. It was actually Spielberg walking down the street and then another day, Seal hey. was walking around but he was doing autographs so he was, it was as if he was hanging out on purpose just to do <laughs> autographs because he needed a little, um, little self-esteem boost and they were also filming Sex in the City 2 movie. Oh, that's along not that, good using that, uh, Have I seen it? I don't think I've seen it. Uh, but yeah. I feel like your life could be a Spielberg film. You should have you should have slipped my business card be like, you won't believe what's happened to me in my life. <laughs> well, I didn't know what to do with famous people then and I was a bit like, do you, do you stop and talk to him? And then I was like, I don't know anything about him. I just know what he looks like and it's definitely him. And I could see other people looking. So you know when other people are looking, like what are they what are they looking at? Um, and, I, and I kind of twigged then that we were actually walking at him. I was like, do you, do you speak to him? But yeah, and then the day we were leaving, as I went to check to see if our car that was collecting us was outside, I was walking up to a big massive glass push door and Trevor McDonald was on the other side oh my god I froze because it was big Trev and then he stood and waited for me to open the door and I just stood there froze left him hanging turned around and walked away to Victoria my wife was like it's Trevor McDonald it's Trevor McDonald so Trevor just got stuck on the other side of the door where I wouldn't open the door for him so it's Trev oh dear am I just apologizing to famous people through this podcast yeah is it sorry famous anybody else want to apologize to you? <laughs> Um, uh, uh, <laughs> because what, what one name springs to mind that it's somebody we're going to cover in the next like six years <laughs> oh shit who shall I say it then bleep it uh, yeah <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> see you in six years oh no <laughs> And finally, the third single, second on this show for Ronan of Boyzone. This is The Way You Make Me Feel. That's the way you make me feel Better than I've ever known it Better than it's ever been I can't seem to control it, no It's the way you make me feel Like the sun coming This is the follow-up to Life as a Roller Coaster. This got to number six. This has got shockingly 
American country vibes, which yeah. I never really noticed at the time. I remember the song really, really well. Yeah, me too. But didn't notice how American it was. And actually, he's going very sultry in his vocal. Like, he's going much raspier than what we've experienced in him so far. There was bits where I couldn't tell where it was Ronan and where it was Brian. Like, it really rasped it. Really, really rasped it Does up. Brian actually sing in it? I thought he just wrote it. He's on the backing vocals of the chorus. That would make sense then as to why Ronan sounds very strange, but... Mm. This, this for me, after Life is a Roller Coaster, this is very forgettable. I kind of think that it's not about Ronan, nothing that's wrong, this is Ronan. I think it's just maybe Ronan was the wrong person for the track. Mm. This could actually have been a dance track when you listen lyrically. Like, it could have been a completely different vibe. But, like, it's a lovely track. It's nice. It's fine. It's very forgettable, but I just think that the forgettableness comes from the style of the track as opposed to anything else. So like mm. I said, it's not, it's not Brian Adams, it's not Ronan, it's just the nature of it. And I think it was just another like, Ronan, let's get mummies to buy your music. So here's a, here's a love song. It'd be brilliant at weddings. Like I can imagine this was big at weddings in Ireland at the time. Yeah. But for me, it's just a bit too boring and Ronan has much better in him. Well... I mean, my mom had this album and it was on quite a lot. So I'm, I'm very well versed in this track and other tracks off the record. It's, it's, it's fine. It's slow in tempo. So therefore I kind of already dock points in my head. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a personality fault. I should try and get over it, but I can't. But I think it's quite sweet. It's it's sweet in a in a way that Ronan does quite quite effortlessly yeah, and regularly. Is. You know, he he's just a sweet dude. Yeah, he's just nice. He just does that all the time. Yeah, we've got another track coming up of the exact same name in about three weeks from Steps, <laughs> which I love way more than this. So putting them side by side, this is nothing for me oh. on its own. Yeah, it's 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 fine. I mean, I've got basically nothing to say. So I went on Amazon and found some reviews. Someone said his sound is far from original. He sounds like so many other boy band artists out there hoping for a solo career. Still, it's worth a spin. It's romantic. It's sweet. It puts you in a romantic mood, and that's okay. And it is. It's fine. Yeah, I think they're quite harsh. Like I still think that it is a great song out of ten. It's a 7 out of 10, yeah. which sometimes, you know, it's the, it means that it's forgettable, you know what I mean? And not in a bad way. It is in a bad way because I'm saying you're forgettable with this track. <laughs> Sorry, Ronan. You and other songs of yours are not forgettable. But this was, you know, this was the third single off an album, really. You know, it, we are starting to get into that that territory where it is, you know, the, 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 the different kind of tracks off that album. But he's got better stuff. You know, he really does have better stuff, but it's... And I'm using the word again probably for the third time now. It's fine. Mm hmm. It's fine. Mm hmm. So that is the first half of December 2000. Christmas is coming. Holidays are coming. Holidays. I'll stop that when I get sued by Coca Cola. Scott, do you feel wintry? Have those tracks uh, froze you up inside? I was going to say warmed you up, but that's not how it works. S, <laughs> S Club 7, Never Had a Dream Come True, always makes me feel Christmassy. Mm. And you know what? Whenever we started this podcast, our first week was so shocking track list wise that we were really nervous about getting to Christmas and how yeah. crap it was going to be every Christmas. Yeah. And you know what? It isn't half as bad as we thought it was going to be but yeah Christmassy I kind of feel it and at time of recording this it's actually quite sunny outside mm. my dog sunbathing on my decking so I wouldn't know I'm in a cupboard with no lighting at all so <laughs> it, it, it could literally be the apocalypse for all I know as long as I'm in my cupboard just one one little thing that I want to come back to that I forgot to mention in the episode is that Never had a dream come true. I think the 1975, who I've gone on record as, as loving, I know you said at one point that I would wear Matty Healy's skin as a coat, mm -hmm. which which is not necessarily all the truth. But I reckon 
on not just one occasion, but twice, they've used the same melody or Never Had a Dream Come True on two of their tracks. Do you want to, do you want to have a little listen and we'll, we'll compare? Uh, yeah. Yes. Right, so here's the S Club one. This is Never Had a Dream Come True. There's no use looking back, Lovely. And this is from Somebody Else and The Sound, both on the same record. Even says the word wondering. I, I think it's a straight lift. I think that Matty Healy should be crediting Kathy Dennis for that one, but it's such a small thing. I'd love to think it was a real influence and it wasn't just a coincidence. I bet you any money that Matty was just the best S Club 7 fan pre-indie music and hairdos. I bet he was just class. I really hope so. We've got the same birthday, so it makes sense if we had the same you know, taste in music. <laughs> We've both just changed star sign. I'm a Pisces now, apparently. So am I. Oh, wait. How weird. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Pisces as well. Oh, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're top. I was, in, I was the first day of Aries, traditionally. Ah. And now I'm a Pisces. Mm-hmm. Oh. Odd. Suddenly, for me, it all makes sense. I don't know about you, but suddenly Pisces is looking pretty appealing. I, I, I feel like I finally found my tribe. My wife actually said I was a textbook Aries and that doesn't make any sense. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. Mm. It's the first time I've ever paid any attention to astrology, but... I, I do feel like it might have a future in my life. Oh. This Pisces thing sounds pretty good. When I was younger, <laughs> astrology was pretty serious because you had Mystic Meg on the lottery, mm. but then more importantly, you had Brian Connolly as Septic Peg, <laughs> and that was some serious shit that you needed to see in a Saturday night on the BBC. <clears throat> anyway, let's get into the important business. Not that Brian Connolly isn't important, but let's get into the, the big <laughs> decisions that need to be made. Hey, I love Brian Connolly back in the day. He was on TV all the time. These days, not so much. It's a shame. Uh, we've got some choices to make, so... For you, Scott, this would be 11 weeks of Kylie, but mm-hmm. will one of this week's tracks be knocking her off? What are your contenders and what is your episode winner? Oh, right. So I think the first half of the track list, and maybe the first three quarters was great. Ronan, no. Wyclef and Mary J, sorry. And Warp Brothers is kind of a nope because I'd rather do public domain. So actually, uh, uh, uh. My weaker one out of the four left would kind of be Madonna Don't Tell Me, even though I was really pleased and I came in whenever I'd listened to it. I was like, do you remember this song from Madonna to my wife? Mm. But in my pot, S Club 7 never had a dream come true. Sonique, I put a spell on you and Britney Spears stronger. Mm. Okay, mm. so which one of those mm. is going to be the winner this week? Uh. <laughs> Beatboxing. Right, I'm just gonna. Yeah, um, it's uh, my, my. I've got two runners up. Jesus, runners up. Joint runner up. <laughs> Very close. Um, S Club Seven never had a dream come true. Just being pipped to first runner up by Sneak. I put a spell on you. My actual final winner because I must have some some weird bromance love for Max Martin. Mm. Britney Spears and Stronger. Ah, very interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you say mm-hmm. it's the strongest Britney track we've done so far? Because I know you weren't that fussed on Oops, I did it again. There was things that you weren't fond of. Whenever I listen to it again, so I've listened to these again today and. I remember, and I must have, I have a specific Max Martin sound that I seem to like, the bye-bye-byes and all of that kind of crack. Mm, so, mm. Um, and like, there is a there's a definite production value that I like. I remember loving this when this was out way more than any other Britney song. So I knew Britney because of saturation and marketing and her being everywhere, but this one kind of connected with me at the time. So I do think for me personally, but I can understand how it's just different for different people because they're all of a similar ilk in different ways mm. yeah I think this is the strongest one and I like that it's just a bit more 
feminist and slightly diva Britney. Yeah. But not an idiot Britney. Yeah. Will it knock off Kylie? We'll find out very shortly. Ooh. So, mine's was... If you do... My number in the pot was quite low, but it's because it was the way we've spread the week. Mm -hmm. So, percentage-wise, there was quite a lot in it. What percentage of yours are going into a pot this week, do you think? I think I'm going to keep mine small. I'm going to put in... S Club 7, never had a dream come true. Ooh. And Britney Spears, Stronger. I do like the Madonna one. I, d- I, don't, I don't remember it from being young, uh-huh. but I did like it hearing it. I remember some bits, but not the whole. And then Sonic, I think, yeah, it's great, but I'm being strict. I've always been strict. I'm keeping my pot small and, and to real contenders. And these two definitely could. These two definitely could. I'm intrigued now because I think we've discussed how strong the songwriting is for Never Had a Dream Come True, how it could live today. Britney's done a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know where you're going to go with this. Talk to me more. Tell me what's gone down. Well, we've picked the same episode winner twice in a row now. Uh-huh. Today will be three, but it isn't. Ooh. I'm going S Club 7. Ooh. I Never Had a Dream Come True. It's a song that I've just, I just, I just I've loved it my entire life. I've just, it's just always been there. It's probably one of my earliest music memories is that track and that video. And um, it just melts my heart. It's just so nice. So yeah, S Club 7. I kind of get that. And you know what it is? We have this really weird thing of, you know, whenever we pull away from each other, we go away and then we we always kind of come back together. But we have this, this really special thing where... Whenever I love something and I can't choose it as my winner, you seem to take that box for me. Maybe we're like simpatico in some like really weird, creepy musical way. Everybody's got something they had to leave behind, Scott. <laughs> so the toilet flushes for. <laughs> so then, Britney versus Kylie. It's the showdown that everyone would have paid to see back in the day on pay-per-view. <laughs> well, don't worry. It's coming yeah. to you free in your headphones right now. Scott, I'm going to hit you with a drone. Right, this seems like it should be really difficult and it should be really close, uh, but I'm looking at the logic of last week, right? So Daft Punk was the closest thing to ever challenge Kylie spinning around. I've listened to Daft Punk this week, I've listened to Britney this week, I've listened to Kylie this week. I don't think that I could say to anybody that Britney Spears Stronger is better than Daft Punk, so by default, mm. it can't beat Kylie for me. So Kylie stays on. Sorry, Britney. Good job, though. Yeah, very good job. Very good job. And a very meticulously done there I like the process I kind of think the same way if it's not better than that it can't be better than that no but then sometimes you think ah but it might be so you have to shuffle things around and you realise you've made big mistakes in the past yeah now you're becoming really kinesthetic with the way that you're starting to feel things and your trance manipulates you a little bit garage gets you shifting yeah Daft Punk just like gets you really really happy but now you're faced with a song that has just made you light up ever since you were a kid Mm. so S Club 7 never had a dream come true this week's episode winner versus your current series winner Daft Punk one more time here's a drone yeah it's tough and and there is a temptation to let the nostalgic wash over me a bit too much and just go for S Club because I remember it for 20 years that's a very valid reason why I could pick that just because it takes me back to being four year old at Christmas and you know unwrapping presents for the family as as I remember happening vividly there's videotapes evidence (laughs) if you want proof I'll I'll show them to you Uh, I I don't know where they are to be fair and then there's Daft Punk which you know in Ryan's email at the start of the show he said that it's you know one of the best songs of all time and it bloody well is and it deserves to stay on Daft Punk I think you've made the right decision for me personally I Mm -hmm. think it is good I I think are you ever going to be able to live with yourself in a world where 
you have an S Club 7 track knock off a Daft Punk track you know what I mean it's it's an odd one well again it depends on what metric we measure this yeah. contest with you know if, if we're going for best pop song mm-hmm. then S Club wins but if we're going for best song than Daft Punk wins. Yeah. And this is a prime example of how we do not know what the definition of pop is because, you know, <laughs> there's indie kids have a very strict view of what they think pop music is and whenever they say pop music, they do not mean Britney Spears and they do not mean S Club 7. There's then some people that like, which is probably more where I come from, who are pop music was Steps, it was S Club, it was, you know, Britney, it was Christina yeah. from my era and, you know, trying to figure out the parameters of this are pretty difficult but we are open-minded and we are letting in dance tracks, we are letting mm-hmm, in garage mm-hmm. tracks, we are letting in things that just were big sellers that won awards you know we're redefining what pop was in the the noughties really beyond anything the official charts documents say oh i'm excited because next week we've got the race for christmas number one it's happening right here Uh-oh. if you if you the don't race. know what happened in the year 2000 at christmas don't look don't go and look. Nah. Let it unfold. Do Let not. it unfold on this show, right? The contenders for Christmas number one in the year 2000 were Stan by Eminem, Westlife, Christmas number one, Westlife. You know, surely, surely. Everything's been number one for Westlife so far. Everything. It's 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 their time of year. They are basically Santa at this point. What makes a man was this year's entry? Was it Christmas number one? Or was it, in fact, Bob the Builder? With Can We Fix It? You will find out next week. I'm saying this. If you don't already know, don't go and find out. Let us surprise you with it. It's going to be incredible. Also, Robbie Williams and Supreme, as well as Oxide Neutrino and Kylie Minogue returns. Wouldn't that be a Christmas twist if Kylie knocked herself off right at the end of the year? (laughs) I love the thought of thinking about Kylie knocking herself off. Let's go to uh, do something else and we'll see you next Friday. Thank you. Laters. Laters.